This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm your host, Tara McCausland, and I'm so glad you're here. I don't know about you, but I noticed a predominant theme throughout the Saturday sessions of this past October conference, hearing over and over the words unity and Zion. We heard on more than one occasion the solemn reminder that if ye are not one, ye are not mine. I had for weeks prior been jotting down notes in regards to this very topic, intending to do an episode on unity. Needless to say, I got plenty of fodder from conference. So today, I wanted to share some observations regarding the increasing polarization we are seeing politically and generally in public discourse, and what we as Latter-day Saints and Disciples of Jesus Christ can do to help mend these social rifts that seem to be growing ever wider. Now, you may be thinking, we are just a small minority among billions of people. What can we really do as members of the church? Well, Christ said, Ye are the salt of the earth, ye are the light of the world. A little bit of salt can flavor a bland dish, right? A small flame can give light to a room. Let's remember that by small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. So your voice, your example, your discipleship matters and can bring about great things, increased unity and peace in your homes, communities, and nations. So to start, I want to illustrate what I see as the problem. You know how this goes. You're scrolling through Facebook and notice one of your friends, possibly a fellow ward member, has posted something political. In said post, they express their great dislike for a certain candidate, the candidate you are voting for, citing many examples of why this person is unfit to be in office and why you should not vote for them. They are voting for the other guy, the guy you dislike. You do one of three things. You keep scrolling, but you block or unfriend that person, feeling you cannot be friends with anyone whose views differ from your own. You think poorly of them because how can a good Latter-day Saint believe that? You'll be avoiding them at church. Two, you leave a comment in defense of your candidate and heated dialogue ensues with your Facebook friend and other commenters because you're both convinced that the other is deluded and deceived you'll be avoiding that person at church. You unfriend them. Three, after reading the post, you still support the other guy, but recognize that everyone is entitled to their own opinions and that our different backgrounds and experiences cause us to see things differently. You remain friends on Facebook. You talk to them at church. Now, I recognize there are a lot of different ways my hypothetical situation could go, but I share that to get you thinking about how you have and are responding to people whose opinions might differ from your own politically and otherwise. Consider these sobering words from Elder Bednar. One of the greatest indicators of our own spiritual maturity is revealed in how we respond to the weaknesses, the inexperience, and the potentially offensive actions of others. Do you fall into the camp of getting defensive, getting angry, distancing yourself from others with whom you disagree? Or are you able to rise above the very human tendency to vilify and feel contempt 
for those who don't see the world quite like you do and sustain respect and connection with that person. I have to be honest and say that four years ago, I was very involved politically. I was actively campaigning for a candidate, handing out flyers, making phone calls, posting frequently on Facebook about said candidate. Guys, I even painted my van. I found myself mentally and emotionally wrapped up in what was being reported on the news, what was being shared on social media about the political race. And I confess, I found myself feeling angry at times at people that I really cared about because we weren't seeing eye to eye politically. For the first time, my extended family was clearly divided based upon who we were voting for. I witnessed some volatile interactions and got into some conversations myself with people, again, some of whom I really love and respect, that spiraled into angry exchanges. It's not something I'm proud to admit, but it happened. One thing that became very obvious to me was that when it came to discussing differences in politics, I and others often became someone they usually aren't. Individuals who were typically level-headed, respectful, and kind would almost instantly become defensive, demeaning, angry when politics came up. It was honestly scary to see that sudden shift in myself and others. It caused me to do some serious self-reflection and ask some hard questions, such as, is my political stance or my discipleship of Christ more evident in my feelings and interactions in this situation? What spirit is influencing me in these interactions? When I consider the feelings associated with those political conversations, they definitely wouldn't qualify as being fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. When was the last time you had a political conversation with someone and peace, gentleness, meekness was the result? My guess is not often. Typically, it is just the opposite. Political discourse in this day and age is riddled too often with toxic levels of contention. For Latter-day Saints and members of Christ Church, we know all too well who the author of this contention is. In 3 Nephi 11.29, we read, For verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger, one with another. President Oaks, in his most recent conference talk, titled Love Your Enemies, said, We live in a time of anger and hatred in political relationships and policies. We felt it this summer when some went beyond peaceful protests and engaged in destructive behavior. We feel it in some current campaigns for public offices. Unfortunately, some of this has even spilled over into political statements and unkind references in our church meetings. He goes on, in a democratic government, we will always have differences over proposed candidates and policies. However, as followers of Christ, we must forego the anger and hatred with which political choices are debated or denounced in many settings. Jesus taught, love your enemies and do good to them that despitefully use you. What revolutionary teachings for personal and political relationships, but that is still what our Savior commands. Close quote. President Oaks makes it clear that this isn't easily done, but it doesn't change the reality that we are to try our best to keep the two great commandments, to love God and love our neighbor. When the Savior spoke these words, there was no asterisk or exception cited. 
In a devotional titled, Israel, Israel, God is Calling, given by Elder Holland in 2012, he shared the following story. A few years ago, a friend of mine, a return missionary, was on one of the college basketball teams in Utah. He was a great young man and a very good ball player, but he wasn't playing as much as he hoped he would. His particular talents and skills weren't exactly what the team needed at that stage of its development or his. So, with the full support and best wishes of his coaches and teammates, my young friend transferred to another school where he hoped he might contribute a little more. As fate would have it, things clicked at the new school and my friend soon became a starter. And wouldn't you know it, the schedule had this young man returning to play against his former team in Salt Lake City's then-named Delta Center. He goes on, What happened in that game has bothered me to this day. The vitriolic abuse that poured out of the stands on this young man's head that night. A Latter-day Saint, returned missionary, newlywed who paid his tithing, served in the elders' quorum, gave charitable service to the youth in his community— What was said and done and showered upon him that night should not have been experienced by any human being anywhere, anytime, whatever his sport, whatever his university, or whatever his personal decisions had been about either of them. But here's the worst part. The coach of this visiting team turned to him after a spectacular game and said, what is going on here? You are the hometown boy who has made good. These are your people. These are your friends. But worst of all, he then said in total bewilderment, Aren't most of these people members of your church? Elder Holland continues, The day after that game, when there was some public reckoning and a call to repentance over the incident, one young man said, in effect, Listen, we are talking about basketball here, not Sunday school. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. We pay good money to see these games. We can act the way we want. We check our religion at the door. Elder Holland then said, Lesson number one for the establishment of Zion in the 21st century. You never check your religion at the door. Not ever. That kind of discipleship cannot be. It is not discipleship at all. As the prophet Alma has taught, we are to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places that ye may be, not just some of the time, in a few places or when our team has a big lead. Close quote. So to use Elder Holland's passionate words, and you really should watch this entire devotional, I'll put it in the show notes because it's awesome. We never check our religion at the door. We are to love our neighbor regardless of their political or social leanings, what school they go to, etc. The part that really gets me though about that story are the words of the coach. What is going on here? Aren't most of these people members of your church? So I have a few good friends members of the church whose faith has been faltering, and seeing some of the unkindness of the members regarding recent social and political happenings has caused them to question even further their interest in being part of the church. It reminds me of the exchange between Alma and Corianton, when Alma reprimands Corianton, who, while on a mission to the Zoramites, went after the harlot Isabel. Alma bemoaned this, saying, O my son, how great iniquity ye brought upon the Zoramites, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. I have felt like this at times when I've been trying to help these friends see the goodness of the gospel and the church, but the example of some of the saints has clouded their ability to see that goodness. If we want to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, and draw others to Zion so they in turn might enjoy this fruit, we need to take seriously Jesus' command to love our neighbor 
and do good to those with whom we may disagree, even those who despitefully use and persecute us. If we are going to successfully build a Zion people, a kingdom on earth prepared to receive Christ again, we must rise above the increasing tendency in our society to lash out, take offense. Love and unity is what will distinguish us in a time when contention and division is rampant. By this shall all men know ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, you may be saying, but I'm right. The principles I stand for are true and good, and I cannot condone or support or turn a blind eye to wickedness. We may at times feel validated in our righteous cause to say or do things to other people that lack charity, in which case you can be right, but be wrong in being right. Chad Ford, a Latter-day Saint and author of a book called Dangerous Love, Transforming Fear and Conflict at Home, at Work, and in the World, said, I can be technically right about a principle, but very wrong in my relationship with that person. He gave the example of the Pharisees being technically right in the law when they brought the woman caught in adultery to the Savior, saying, the law says that such should be stoned. But Jesus through the eyes of love, saw the person, the humanity, and was able to extend compassion and mercy to the woman. Is it possible that God could be less concerned about how we vote than how we treat those who vote differently than us? Now that I have articulated the problem, what is the solution? How do we heed the Lord's call to love our neighbor, become one, and build a Zion people? First, I will draw on the words of Elder Jackson of the 70 from this past conference. He said, Those things to which we are exposed by the cultures we grow up in can serve as a great strength in our lives. It can also, at times, become a significant obstacle. Many of our world's problems are a direct result of clashes between those of differing ideas and customs arising from their culture. But virtually all conflict and chaos would quickly fade if the world would only accept its original culture, the one we all possessed not so very long ago. This culture dates back to our pre-mortal existence. It was the culture of Adam and Enoch. It was the culture founded on the Savior's teachings in the meridian of time. And it is available to all women and men once again in our day. It is unique. It is the greatest of all cultures and comes from the great plan of happiness, authored by God and championed by Christ. It unites rather than divides. It heals rather than harms. Close quote. Now, I loved that. Our love and devotion to Christ and the gospel culture can become our common denominator, our unifying banner. Any other banner we carry, if carried too high and too long, can impair our vision and lead us away from the gospel path if we are not careful. If we're serious about our discipleship, the gospel banner has to supersede all other causes or issues with which we are concerned about. In a worldwide church with over 16 million people, we are bound to have differences of opinion. Our various backgrounds, upbringings, and experiences will undoubtedly color our views on politics, social, and other issues. But if we can fully embrace the gospel culture and make all our banners and causes secondary to our discipleship, our love of God will help us see past those differences. Making the gospel culture our family and word culture will help unify and build Zion. Next, learning to see others deeply. 
In Sister Michelle Craig's recent conference talk, Eyes to See, she quoted columnist David Brooks, who stated, Many of our society's greatest problems flow from people not feeling seen and known. There is a core trait that we all have to get better at, and that is the trait of seeing each other deeply and being deeply seen. So that begs the question, what does seeing others deeply really mean? Well, I believe it means seeing past the stereotypes and stratifications, you know, the economic status, the political affiliation, race, religion, sexual orientation, and seeing the humanity, the person, seeing a child of God. Sister Craig explained, Jesus Christ sees people deeply. He sees individuals, their needs, and who they can become. Where others saw fishermen, sinners, or publicans, Jesus saw disciples. Where others saw a man possessed by devils, Jesus looked past the outward distress, acknowledged the man, and healed him. She goes on, I often ask myself two questions and pay attention to the impressions that come. What am I doing that I should stop doing? What am I not doing that I should start doing? Now, when it comes to seeing others deeply and loving as Jesus does, what is something I should stop doing? Well, four years ago, and election cycles prior, I found myself listening to and reading material that, looking back, caused me to feel anger and resentment for certain groups and individuals. This is not a state of mind or being that I like to be in. I knew that in this thing, I was not feeling the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I decided long before this election cycle started that I would avoid media or material that caused me to feel this way. It has made all the difference in my sense of well-being and helped me sustain feelings of goodwill toward my fellow men during this election cycle. The information and media we consume on a regular basis will play a huge role in how we perceive the world, current events, and the people involved. I invite you to take an honest assessment of yourself and consider, is the social media, news source, radio program, I am regularly consuming, causing me to feel frustration, anger, perhaps even contempt for a certain individual or group of people? If the answer is yes, is this an influence you can courageously choose to remove from your life? To be clear, I think it's very important to be an informed citizen, and you can't live with your head in the sand. However, when choosing sources of media and information to consume, remember that not all information sources are made equal, and some are meant to inflame anger and polarization in us. Seek for information sources that are balanced, not highly emotionally charged, and information-based, not opinion-based. As a wise man said on a previous episode, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Now to Sister Craig's second question, what is something I am not doing that I should start doing. If we go back to Mr. Brooks' quote, where he stated many of our society's great problems flow from people not feeling seen and known, we might ask, how do we really help people feel seen and known? Well, we move closer and we listen. Often our instinct is to move away from someone who looks, thinks, and behaves differently than we do. But if you examine Christ's life and how he interacted with others, he did just the opposite. He met people where they were at, the Samaritan woman at the well, the Pharisee Nicodemus, an unclean woman with an issue of blood, a doubting Thomas. And you know what? He got to know their story and he felt their pain. 
he saw them deeply and was moved with compassion towards them. Brene Brown in her book, Braving the Wilderness said, it's hard to hate people up close. Why is that? Because when we hear their story, their pain, their struggles, their joys and triumphs, we see the person. We see another child of God with hopes and dreams. Sometimes it is very hard to move closer, especially when there is a history of conflict or misunderstanding between people. But like anything, with practice, we can become better at doing what Chad Ford calls being the first to turn. He explained that when we are turned away from one another, we don't see each other. We don't see each other's humanity, needs, desires. Change begins with turning toward that person and trying to understand these things. He also said, don't be so fast to assign ill motives. And he mentioned the importance of examining our own assumptions and considering that we might have an incomplete understanding of someone or something. We can be humble in our truth and recognize that we can learn from others when we will take the time to listen. Truly, the only way to unite people with unique backgrounds and upbringings is to listen with the intent to understand. As Marjorie Hinckley said, there isn't a person you wouldn't love if you could read their story. When we come to learn of people's stories, the result is often more compassion and more love. So what can you start doing? Listen and try to see others deeply, and then perhaps your eyes will be truly opened. The third and final suggestion of how we can unite and build Zion is to pray. Elder Ballard said in his recent conference talk titled, Watch Ye Therefore and Pray Always, quote, Today, I expand my call for prayer to all people from every country around the world. No matter how you pray or to whom you pray, please exercise your faith, whatever your faith may be, and pray for your country and for your national leaders. We stand today at a major crossroads in history, and the nations of the earth are in desperate need of divine inspiration and guidance. This is not about politics or policy. This is about peace and the healing that can come to individual souls as well as to the soul of countries, their cities, towns, and villages through the Prince of Peace and the source of all healing, the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, During the past few months, I have had the impression come to me that the best way to help the current world situation is for all people to rely more fully upon God and to turn their hearts to Him through sincere prayer. Humbling ourselves and seeking heaven's inspiration to endure or conquer what is before us will be our safest and surest way to move confidently forward through these troubling times. Close quote. I believe prayer possesses real power. Prayer can change hearts and affect change for good. It is my experience that God hears and answers the prayers of his children. I believe if we are united in this call from Elder Ballard, God will bless us as a people and as a nation. A few final thoughts to consider. In our Come Follow Me study, we recently read of a group of people who, after years of dissension, war, and pride, became one, the children of Christ. This is, of course, uh, the people in 4th Nephi. Like the people of Enoch, these people began to have all things common among them. There was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which did dwell on the hearts of the people. They were described as the happiest people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. That's pretty cool. This is the power of truly living the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we create and build a Zion people. It is possible. We see evidence of it in scripture. I'm so grateful to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and to understand that God 
is no respecter of persons, that he loves all his children, and that as we strive to keep the commandments and love God and our neighbor, unity can be achieved. I invite you to consider what you can start doing today to create more peace and unity in your homes and in your communities. And I invite you to share this episode with a friend to help spread this message of hope and healing. Together, we can build a Zion people. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschrist sr podcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.